All right, we're in Job chapter 10. So, um, in chapter 9, uh, Job uh, began his answer uh, to uh, Bildad. And uh, so, he talked about this hypothetical case. What, what would a hypothetical case look like? Uh, if he were to contend with God, um, and he went through all the hypothetical things that would or wouldn't happen. So now in chapter 10, he's, it looks like he's going to go through kind of what that case would look like, and, and specifically what his arguments would be. Uh, if he did have the case, remember his conclusion was, who could who could set up a who could set up a court case for me anyway? There's there's no lawyer. There's no there's no person that could do that. But now he goes into uh, what looks to me to be if he did somehow get a court case with God, this is kind of how I would argue. This is the, these are the things that I would say. So I'm going to go through chapter ten uh, uh, in sections again. So we open up in verse uh, one through. 10. It says, My soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint, and I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And so this is where he turns to God. He said, I will say to God, uh, Do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the very work of your own hands, and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see like a man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Or are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you would seek for my iniquity and search out my sin. Although you know that I am not wicked and there is none that can deliver from your hand. Your hands have made me and fashioned me as an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray that you have made me like clay and you would turn me to dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese and clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and tendons and you've granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. So that's through verse 12. We're going to stop right there. Uh, so Job asks some questions um, in, in, cha- in, this, in this section. And we're just going to go through these uh, sections um, and actually, I, um, uh, why don't I, I want to read, there's another section that I want to, that is a question, and I, I, so I'll just read down through verse 17. We, we ended at verse 12, so let's just go through verse 17. It says, These things you've hidden in your heart, I know that this was with you. If I sin, then you mark me, and you will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, well, then woe to me. Even if I'm righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I'm full of disgrace. See my misery, if my head is exalted, you would hunt me like a fierce lion, and you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness uh, against me and increase your indignation towards me. Changes and war are always with me. So, um, I say that there's a a section that corresponds to an earlier verse that I want to get to. So, as we go back... um, Job asks some common questions, and we'll see if we can find these questions. What's the question uh, verse in verse 2? It might not be necessarily be worded as a question, some of these, 
but they are, in a sense, questions. In verse 2 of chapter 10, what is the question? He says, show me why you contend with me. What is he asking? Okay. Okay. That's certainly uh, asking if God's going to, to, to help him is, is the overall part of Job. But he's asking, show me why you contend with me. He's saying, why are you doing this? Right? Don't, that is really what humanity wants. We want to know why. Whenever um, something happens to us, we wish to know why. Uh, so, um, the interesting thing about uh, Job is at the end, this question never gets answered. Right? What, is, what is God's answer, if you remember, I mean, it's several chapters, you don't have to detail it. What is the end of, the, 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 of Job? What's, what's, God, what's God's message to him? You can take Job and use Job because he is a servant of mine and Okay. So, so the message was to Job at the end was because I want to, sort of. I mean, you're, you're I govern the world, not you. And we know from because it's written to us, we know the story of of Satan and in the beginning and talking to to God and and um, all that. We have no indication that God ever explained that conversation to Job. That, that Job lived and died without ever knowing that something else was happening. Uh, I think that's interesting. So he wants to know, his first question is, I, I want to know why this is happening, God. God says, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. Um, next question. Uh, verse 4 through 6. This is interesting. He talks about God. He says, do you have eyes of flesh? Do you see like a man sees? What is he asking here? This is actually, it, it almost sounds like an insult, but it's not. It's not an insult. He's not insulting God here. Remember that, that we keep on saying every time God, Job says something, it says, yet with all these things, Job did not sin with his mouth. Right? Uh, he's insulting humans. He's like, God, you don't look on things like humans do, do you? His idea of God was that God was bigger. And so, um, so, so God is bigger. So how come you seem to be operating like humans would operate? Are you moved by, by human emotions and human impulses? Right? So Job is trying to run through the motivations that God would have for doing this because things don't make sense. We've talked about his dilemma, right, that he has. Um, so he makes this he makes a connection here between he says, Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Um, and he's he's talking about why would you oppress me? So what is the connection then between oppression and mortality. I'm going to die. So what's the connection between that and people oppressing other people? 
if, if I was going to. The, the mortality of man. We live for a period of time. So what does that have to do with oppression? Because he draws a link to one, to the other. And think about it this way. Look at what the world is trying to get. Right? What is the what is the world after? <laughs> money. <laughs> However you want to call it, they're after money. What else are they after? Any kind of self fulfillment, any type of gratification. But how does mortality enter the picture? How does my physical limitations, how does that enter the picture? Well, that's, okay, so, so my experiences and things like that, that has to do if I'm, if I'm you know, if I'm being an upright person, but, but the person who's not upright. Accumulating it faster. Right, so so I know that as okay, I grow up, and of course, remember we're talking with their lifespans were slightly different, but still, I know that I have a certain you know you grow up, you become a man. From that point, it's it's all about accumulating, and you know that you have a limited period of time to do it in, and so if you're wicked, you're going to even resort to worse motives and worse things to oppress people to get what you think. You need to get in the time that you have to acquire it because you're trying to get ahead. People who work honestly are going to tend on an average basis to not accumulate as much as people who are willing to resort to more motives and methods to, to get it. Right? That's just the way of the world. And so he says, so he says do you see like a man sees? Do you have these motives you, like, like a common, ordinary person? Because it seems like you're oppressing me, and I can't figure out why you're doing this. So, so it, it, it feels, God, like you are, you know, motivated by the same things that I see around me. Um, so, in verse seven, and then, and then there's a, another section he comes back to that kind of repeats it. Verse seven, he says, "Although you know I'm not wicked," <laughs> so now he's assuming his innocence. Yet there's no one who can deliver me from your hand. And then we jump down to verse 14, and it's kind of a repetition of the same thought. He says, if it, if it was sin, then you, you've marked me, and you won't acquit me of my iniquity. If I'm wicked, woe to me. But if I'm righteous, I, can't even, I still can't do anything about it. And so, <clears throat> what is Job complaining about? What's Job complaining about? God. What's that? Okay, he's complaining about his trials, but he's complaining about God. And there's a character of God that seems out of, again, this is the dilemma that he has. He's been upright in, in how he addresses God, but God seems what to him? Not being fair. He's not fair. This is not fair. These questions are questions that we ask. Here we're talking about a book that's thousands of years old, and it's the same questions. This is not fair. You know I'm not wicked. Now, why can Job say that? Because we know that that. He gives sacrifices to cover. Okay, so so we know that we know that 
Job has taken the precautions to, to sacrifice. Now, now, Job is not saying that he's perfect, right? We know that. Uh, but he doesn't consider himself wicked. Right? In other words, he only has people to compare to. He's not, he doesn't have the example of Christ or that, that type of a standard to compare to. Um, so uh, one of the things that we've seen in our society this week or this year and even recent years is, is that um, people are holding previous centuries and people who lived in those centuries to a standard of understanding that we have today, right? Like those people didn't live with those concepts and understanding, right? And we're holding that we're going back in time and we're saying, you don't have the right to be considered a decent person because you did this or because you said this or whatever the thing was. And they had no frame of reference. They didn't have that capability. So Job is kind of like this. Job, we shouldn't... Well, Job, you know that there's no such thing as a good person compared to Christ. He didn't have Christ. <laughs> he didn't have that ability to... Uh, and he even a little he kind of gets there. Right? God knows my inner person. Um, but he's saying, I'm not a wicked person. I know the things that I've done, and I haven't lived like those people live. Um, now, how do we know that God is uh, that Job is not wicked, that he's not saying this in error? Because he never said it against Jesus. He never. Okay. We have a, we have we have a, an account, right, of of Job. We know in the beginning of the book of Job when God's talking to Satan, he said, "Have you considered?" Okay. So this is the first form from God's own mouth. Job has been declared to be a, a righteous person by whatever standard God is using of Job. So Job is speaking accurately by whatever standard was used for him. But, his set, but the problem in, in this is I still can't escape punishment. I, I still can't get away from this. What have I done now? So, uh, but Job does something here that I think will start to move him off of the right path in terms of uh, how he's looking at situation. He's done one thing in this section. Um, here. <clears throat> He says, you renew your witness against me and you increase your indignation, changes in war against me. Right, uh, verse 16, backing up, he said, if my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show your aw yourself awesome or too powerful against me. What has he done? What is he crediting? He's keeping him modest. He's keeping kind of... He's saying, if you hold my head down, you kind of... Keep me in my place kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's crediting God with all of this, isn't he? He's still... He's, in other words, he's allowing the premise that his friends are setting up. It's a dangerous thing. 
even if he's kind of a little different, he's kind of getting closer to their position. And I, I think that's something that happens when you're around a certain thought a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. You tar- start to migrate towards it even if you don't agree with it. Uh, and, and you have to deliberately keep your mind because you, you start allowing the premise. Okay, yeah, but... Okay, so yes, but this. You know, and so you start to differentiate yourself in little ways to help you feel different from that thing when you're starting really to, to not be that much different at all. And so he's allowing the premise that God is doing this. Um, and, and that it even still might have something to do with sin. He's, he's allowing that just to be in the discussion. Even if he's saying, well, I don't feel guilty, but maybe there's something. He's just allowing the premise. Um, I want to back up to verse 8. Uh, and we can look at another question. He says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me as an intricate unity, yet you would destroy me. Remember, I pray that you've made me like clay and you will turn me to dust again. Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like, like cheese? And I don't know what that reference is to. I, I think it might be you know, talking about kind of just how stuff forms and from liquid to solid. And he's kind of talking about how, how we start out from, you know, something small and kind of get formed. I think that's the illusion. I don't, I don't get the picture personally. But he says, you clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together. And you've granted me favor and your care has preserved my spirit and all that. So, so he, what, is, what is his question? As he's talking about himself, what is his question? What's that? Okay. Is God going to, are you going to, well, he's, he's talking, I don't think it's so much about the future, it's about the past. His question is about the past. Um, he's, he's asking, um, he, he's explaining in his, you know, in his description, the, the amazingness of creation, right, of, of his existence. And his anatomy. So what's so what is his? He's got a dilemma. And what is his dilemma? It's like an artist has created this incredible, beautiful, you know, painting, and then you destroy it. <laughs> okay. Why? Why are you doing this to me? You know. You okay. So so this is not just why from a perspective of your motive. This is God. This is illogical. This doesn't make sense. I would understand if, you know, if we're going back to the picture of the wicked person and the innocent person. You've, if you made a, a work of, of art and, and then someone came along and defaced it, yeah, I can see why you would do something. If someone was wicked and they've basically ruined the masterpiece you created, okay. But you made me like this and, and I haven't done anything. This is illogical. And so, so he's questioning a little bit God's logic. Uh, so <clears throat> Job's conclusion, um, I want to I read through the end of the chapter here. It says, Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Oh, that I had perished and no eye had seen me. I would be as though I had not been. I would have 
been carried from the womb to the grave are my days not few. Cease, leave me alone, that I can take a little comfort before I go to the place from which I will not return, to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, a land as darkness itself, as dark as darkness itself, the shadow of death without any order, where even the light is darkness. And I, I don't want to go through this too much because it's more of Job saying, I wish I was never born. Uh, we're not going to repeat every, everything he repeats. But verse uh, 12 and 13 are really kind of the conclusion of this, or the summary, I should say, not the conclusion, but the summary of, of his arguments. It, you know, if you're summing up your, um, your arguments if the, in, in just a nutshell, um, <clears throat> they're not really a rephrased question, but the only thing Job can settle on to explain everything is uh, you've granted me life and favor, your care has preserved my spirit, verse 12, and then all these things you've hidden in your heart. All my explanations, you've kept it from me. Uh, and I don't, I don't understand it. And you're, it's just you. <laughs> you've got the information and I wish I could figure it out, but you're not going to tell me. So we get to Zophar. Um, Zophar is going, we're going to see that, we'll just read uh, the chapter here, verse, uh, read the whole, whole thing, and you can draw your own conclusions here about Zophar. Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should not a man of talk uh, be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? When you mock, shouldn't someone rebuke you? For you have said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But, oh, if only God would speak, and open his lips against you, oh, he would show you the secrets of wisdom. For they would double your prudence. Know, therefore, that God is exacting from you less than what your sin deserves. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heavens. What can you do deeper than Sheol? What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by in prisons and gathers to judgment, then who can stop him? For he knows deceitful men, and he sees wickedness also. Will he not consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a donkey's uh, colt is born as a man. If you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hands towards him, if iniquity was in your hand and you put it far away and wouldn't let wickedness dwell in your tents, well, then surely you could lift up your face without any spot. And then you could be steadfast and not fear because you would forget your misery and remember it like waters that have passed away. And your life would be brighter than noonday. Though you were dark, you would be like the morning. And you would be secure because there's hope. Yes, you would dig around you and take your rest in safety. And you would lie down and no one would make you afraid. Yes, many would court your favor, but the eyes of the wicked will fail. They shall not escape, and their hope is the loss of life. So what is your impression of Zophar? Talk like you're pure and innocent, but you're not. It's just you don't know. Zophar to me is 
I, I know I said last week that, that I, I think Bildad is, is kind of more, he's more of a blowhard of the three, uh, only because he talks more. Uh, but Zophar is the most blunt of the three. I, I wonder, because the, the way they speak is in a particular order, and we look at like Elihu at the, you know, at the end, he says, you know, I, I was waiting for the older men to speak. I, I wonder if we're looking at men who speak in turn by age. In other words, Elihu is the oldest. We see Elihu's, he's critical of Job, but he tends to be a little bit more tactful in the way he insults. Uh, Bildad, not so much, and then so far it's just blunt. He's, he's, he's kind of an ignoramus. Uh, it, it's nice that, you know, in, in the structure of the book, he's the one that gets left out at the end. He doesn't get the, the final, his final, you know, the, in the third section here. It's just the older two men that, if, if it is that they're by age, it's the other two men that speak and so far is left out. When, uh, and maybe Elihu, like, interrupted before he was getting ready. He's like, I'm not listening to that guy anymore. <laughs> so I don't know. But um, I want to look at his condemnation. Um, and um, I want to look, there's an interesting irony in verse 2. He says, shouldn't the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be, uh, shouldn't he be vindicated? Shouldn't he have to prove his point or whatever? Um, there's an irony here. And that is that, He's sitting here saying, oh my goodness, Job, you're just so full of words. And uh, But if we go back, remember that it's Eliphaz who asked to start talking. Job didn't invite these people to, into a conversation. He was kind of moaning himself, and he had a little speech you know, with God. But in terms of their conversation, it is them who asked him to talk. It wasn't, he didn't like, you know, please guys, I would just like to, to you to say something to me and then I'll, and then I'll, and then I'll return an answer. And so, so, so Zophar is kind of talking, his, his idea is almost like, like Job started the whole thing. No, this was you who started the whole thing. So, um, I, I just find that a little bit ironic. Uh, so I want to look at his specific accusations here in the opening section. What does he accuse? Uh, he accuses them of several things. What does he accuse Job of? There's some serious things in here that he accuses him of. Mocking God. Okay. That's pretty serious. Anything else? That his talk was empty. Okay, empty talk. Now, there's an interesting thing here. Is that um, the word, he, he, some, some talk about um, uh, like chatter. I, I can't remember the exact. There's different versions of this. Uh, or Babel, I think, is one. 
Uh, the word Babel, it's not a word that's used frequently in the Bible, in the Old Testament, but every other time in the Old Testament that it's used, it is the word lie. He's accusing Job of lying. And you can even see that here in this. Uh, look what he says in verse 4, and we're going to get into some specific lies. He says, because you said my doctrine is pure. So he's, he's going to, he's not just accusing him of lying, but he's accusing him of specific lies. You, you've claimed my doctrine is pure, uh, but you're wrong. Uh, so he's now, what, what, what did they first, what, when this whole thing started, what was one of their compliments of Job? You know, they did that, you know, the butter it up before I give you the... That he was wise. Oh, you're such a wise teacher. And now he's, he's walked that so far back over the course of this, these three men, that now Zophar is saying, no, you're a false teacher. It's like, like we're, we were here like, what, a week ago or two weeks ago, whenever this other speech was, now I'm a false teacher? I was a wise teacher when you came to me. Now I'm a false teacher. Uh, what else is he, is he accusing him of in, in regards to his lies? Your, your doctrine, you, you claim that your doctrine is pure, you're wrong. You're, you're teaching false things. What else? He got less than he deserved. Uh, that is that is brutal. He so so his idea is that your declaration of of innocence is is a lie. In fact, it's such a lie. God is treating you lightly. You should be getting worse. Uh, you deserve worse. Uh, and I think at this point some deeper feelings are coming out. It is kind of the way I, I think. I don't know if they were genuine at the beginning. I, I, I thought that they were. Just the, you know, we went through some of the things that, that you would not think that a genuine person or, or an insincere person would do. But I think you can have a, a friendship with somebody and still at some point envy. There's a little, the, James talks about the, a bitter root coming up. That there can be just a little bit of envy. And you can be friends with them. And sincere friends with them. Just, oh, there's just a little bit of something there. And I think it as these more though to their culture because it's kind of how they were. Then, it, it could be their happening to you, of course. Yeah, it could be their culture. It could be their culture, but it's it just uh, with this guy in particular, he seems so vindictive. Uh, just just the way he talks, and maybe it's just me reading tone of voice into it. But uh, but this it's like oh you deserve worse, like. And even even some of the things, oh, I wish God would open up his mouth. Oh, I wish you would get what's coming to you. He just kind of has that feel in this speech. It's like you're driving down the road and some nut job driver, oh man, you and you want to see you want to see those red lights. Oh, you just want to see it so bad. Um, and so he's, he's quite vindictive. 
Um, <clears throat> so, um, so this 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 condemnation, uh, open condemnation that we've seen again, this progression. We saw Eliphaz hint at a connection between Job's character and punishment. <clears throat> then we saw Bildad assume the guilt. If you go back and, and look at Bildad's speech, he assumed Job's guilt. And now Zophar is not just assuming the guilt, but he's now determining the decree, the, or the degree of it, uh, of, of this verdict. So we, we go to verse 7, and this is the useless wisdom section. Right? You go to a bookstore, and where's the useless wisdom section? And uh, we get a full section by Zophar uh, over here. Uh, and it, it, I wonder if he's quoting an old proverb or if this is his own wisdom. I don't know. It looks like some, some of the men have been quoting from old things. Um, but there's something interesting in these, and maybe I'm reading too far into it, but there's something interesting to me in all of the things that he says, or most of the things he says, are things that Job has already admitted to. So, uh, in some form, Job has already, in this section where he's talking about God, Job has already said these things. So, in... Um, uh, let's see where are we at here. So he talks about the inability to understand. Who can find out the things of God? Job. Yeah, I already said that. In, in all my speeches, in fact, I've said that. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. Oh, okay, so let me move on here. Um, he says, if he passes by and imprisons and gathers to judgment, who can stop him? Yeah, I said that in the last speech. Remember when I said when I opened up my speech and I said if he goes by me I don't know and if he does something I couldn't stop him anyway. Remember when I said that? Yeah, that was like last week. Oh, okay, let me move on to my other great wisdom here. Um, God knows things. Uh, he says uh, he knows deceitful men. He sees their wickedness also. Don't, won't he then consider it? Yeah. Okay, I already told you that. God knows things about people that they don't know about themselves. Yeah, that was me that said that. So, so this whole section, Zophar is it's like it's like Zophar had these things prepared and he's been waiting his turn, but it all got said before he said it. And so he, but he's already with his speech, so he's got to give it. You know, it's kind of the way I look at it, uh, even though it was it's all been talked out. So. We come to the glimmer of humanity, maybe, in, in Zophar. Maybe, maybe if we try to find a good motive, maybe that he was viewed himself as tough love. I'm just doing tough love. It's possible. He says, if you would prepare your heart and stretch out your hand towards him, if there was iniquity in your hand and you put it far away, and wouldn't let wickedness dwell in your tents, then surely you could lift up your face. And so, so maybe he's trying, you know, just he's just tactless. Some people are just tactless. I've known people. 
they're not insincere, they just have no sense of tact. So it is possible, right? These are men that lived thousands of years ago, and this is all we know about them is a few things that they said. So, so maybe my, my characterization of them is incorrect. But um, there's just still so many assumptions, right? Um, we talked about Bildad's assumptions, and we looked at that opening section of assumptions. And this man has so many assumptions. He says, um, uh, what, does he, what does he assume about Job's motives or his heart? He assumes a couple of things about Job's heart. In verse beginning in verse twelve. He assumes that it's not prepared, doesn't he? If you would prepare your heart, it's like if you would repent. If you would if you would work on your heart, then, then maybe this wouldn't happen, or, or you would get better. Or if, uh, if you would stretch out your hands towards him. In other words, if you, would, if you would respond to God in some way. God's trying to get your attention, and you're not responding. That's, that's the answer here. Um, so he's like, you're unaffected by God. God's trying to move you, and you're not being moved. So he then moves on to assumptions of Job's life. Um, so you could um, lift up if iniquity, or verse, excuse me, verse fourteen. If iniquity was in your hand and you put it far away, and if you didn't let wickedness dwell in your tents, those are two different accusations. What are those accusations? Okay, so I'm first going to assume that you're in a sinful condition. And what else? His family. Always to the family. Um, And again, we've seen the first two kind of reference that. Um, Your family has some skeletons in their closet, right? This is their way of saying it. You've got something in your tent. You've got a skeleton in your closet. You've got a secret family sin. And if you would deal with it, then this stuff wouldn't happen to you. Um, And so there are a couple of uh, references of of interest that I want to get to before we close here. Uh, Verse 19. It says, uh, You would lie down and no one would make you afraid. Many would court your favor. And, and it's interesting, as I was reading that, obviously he's fallen out of favor with people. But there have been throughout these speeches, I'm not sure if you, you, you've noticed it, um, these, this reference to enemies. Right? Uh, do you remember... Um, Job said, listen, when you came here, when they were starting to uh, question his motives and things like that, he said, I didn't ask for your money. I didn't ask you to protect me from my enemies. Right. Right. So, so there's been these, this reference to, to enemies. Uh, Eliphaz talked about 
oh, you would live in your tents and you wouldn't have anything missing, right? And, and so, so there's, um, it, it seems that, I mean, we've talked about and we know that the, the physical pain, and, and Job has mentioned the physical pain recurring, you know, just when he starts to heal, it breaks out again. But it's possible that that's not the only thing that is continuing. It, it could be that he's got enemies and continually enemies that are seeing him vulnerable and are doing whatever they can. Uh, and they're continually threatening him because they're emboldened by his, you know, weak condition. Um, so so I, I find that interesting. I don't know it to be true, but it, but it seems, again, that, that there is this indication that the physical pain wasn't the only thing that Satan is continuing to work on him through. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, Zophar concludes by using Job's words against him. He says, uh, the eyes of the wicked will fail. They will not escape. And their hope is what? Loss of life. Loss of life. What's Job been saying again and again and again? What? I wish I was die. I wish I could just die. And and so so Zophar says, well, the only people who wish they could die would be wicked people. Right? So you must be wicked. And this is called circular reasoning. Um, when you use your point to prove your point, he does, hasn't actually proven anything. Right? He's assumed that only wicked people wish they could die. Is that true? No, of course not. Right? Anybody suffering for an extended period of time wishes that they would die. So he's assumed that in order to prove, well, Job, so, so since I assume that only wicked people wish they could die, and you're wishing you could die, therefore you're a wicked person. Right? That's a nice little <laughs> jump of leap of logic. Uh, so, so fortunately we're past Zophar's... Uh, uh, speech, and Job will answer uh, in the next, um, the next couple of chapters, and then we will begin the, the second round um, in, in chapter 15, and we'll, we'll see if we go through any thoughts as we close.